So we're in part three of a series about money called Making Sense Out of Dollars. What is God's perspective on money? Okay, and we've been talking about this very uncomfortable subject for the past few weeks. We're concluding it next week. Lori's gonna come up here and speak next week. And uh, then Pastor Stan is gonna end it with a Q&R thing at the end of tomorrow, uh, next week's service. So if you have questions about money, if you have questions about what we've been talking about, jot them down, keep it in your pocket, bring it next week. And if you're home, uh, you could chat it, uh, you could chat it into the, in the comment section. Yep. And uh, if you're outdoors, uh, we'll, we'll probably bring like a wireless mic to you next week. So if you have questions, feel free to ask from the outside area. And uh, yeah, so let's just uh, quickly recap what we've been talking about because we've been talking about a lot. And today there is even more to talk about. And um, we were planning on making this a longer series and then we were told like, we don't wanna be uncomfortable for that long. So we're cramming everything in and today it's gonna be just, just dense. Okay, so uh, quick recap. Last week we talked about how money is a spiritual issue. Uh, Jesus talked about it a lot, and I know we get uncomfortable when the church talks about money because we think the church just wants your money, but that's not the case. Uh, we talked about how when Jesus talked about money, he talked a lot about how to deal with money, not so much like, please give me your money, right? Jesus never, as we talked about this, uh, Jesus talked a lot about money, but he only asked for money once, and that was for a sermon illustration, and we think he gave it back afterwards. So, there's, if anybody tells you God needs your money, then, then uh, that's not true. Okay, so just keep that in mind. Everyone they're talking about, we're not here to grab whatever you've, you work really hard to earn, okay? But we do know that money's a spiritual issue. And today we're gonna be talking more specifically the fact that it's not just a spiritual issue, that money is a spiritual tool. It's something that we should use to accomplish something, okay? So the first week, we talked about how money can be used to direct your heart. Jesus gave us that story about, that teaching about um, how wherever you put your treasure, your heart will follow. So if you always find yourself in trouble with the wrong person, or you always make the wrong purchase, or you're like, man, I don't know how I got into this issue in the first place, and you just kind of default to, well, the heart wants what it wants. Jesus teaches us that you can actually use your money, your wealth, your treasure as a tool to direct where your heart's gonna go. So next time you think like, hey, I can't control my heart, you can. Jesus taught us how you can, right? Put your money into things that you think God is working on and your heart will follow that also. That was two weeks ago. Last week, we talked about the tithe because tithe is a very touchy subject. The tithe in the Old Testament was God's way of setting a, a healthy example of how to manage your wealth. We, also, we talked about how the tithe is really not 10%, right? Tithe is actually 23.3%, right? Uh, he said a tenth goes towards the people who are doing God's work, like the priests. Another 10% goes towards your family uh, for these feasts, these celebrations, so make sure you put some money aside for that. And then every three years you give 10%, so that's 3.3% a year, towards the people who are poor, the alien, the widow, the, the orphan, so you can help people out. Now, we as the church, people who live after the Old Testament, we are no longer bound to the tithe. We don't have to tithe. That's why at this church we don't co collect tithes, right? But what we are taught is that this was, an, was a healthy example of how with our wealth, we're not just accumulating things for ourselves, we're accumulating things for our community, our family, and for the people who need it. So this was God's way of trying to get us in, into this pattern of, yeah, money is not just for you. And he also talked about how as people who are called church, the Christians, we are called to give joyfully. So. Maybe in Old Testament, 23.3%, but for you, that's a bit much. 
and you're like, yeah, I, I don't think I could give joyfully if it was that much. So pray, to, pray and talk with God, listen to him carefully. And if he says, hey, in this season of your life, I want you to give this much, do it joyfully, okay? And so there's no limit or there's no set amount that you're supposed to give to this organization, that organization, to your church, the people who need it. It's between you and God. So that's what we talked about last week. So for the last few weeks, you know, we've been talking about what money can do for you right? It could direct your heart, right? Um, today, we're going to talk more about the dangers of money. Rather, we're going to talk about what money can do to you. And the Bible talks a lot about what money could do to you. It's, it's actually a very dangerous thing. When Jesus talked about how you could direct your heart with money, he wasn't just doing that because like, hey, it'd be really fun. It'd be a fun trick if you could control your heart, right? He wasn't doing that because he thought it was fun. He was, he was teaching these things because he knew that there was this really dangerous force this powerful force that money could generate that could corrupt your heart in such a really nasty way. As a matter of fact, it happens so subtly. A lot of times we don't even know it's happening to us that even a few years from now, you'll look back and say, no, money has no effect on me when it actually has. So the question we're gonna answer today through the teachings of the scriptures is this, does my money have mastery over me? And I will guarantee you, majority of us would probably say no, because that's our first instinctual answer. No, of course not, right? But money is very, very sneaky. A lot of things happens to us without even knowing that it's happening to us. So today, we're gonna be looking at three verses. One, two, oh, four verses. We're gonna be looking at, well, three verses, and we're gonna make a detour to two verses. So it's like five verses total. And you're like, oh, it's gonna be a short sermon. Well, the first verse is pretty long. Okay, <laughs> and we're gonna be spending a lot of time in these verses, so just like, get ready. We're just gonna go through a few verses, but we're gonna be talking a lot about it. Okay, so the first place we're gonna look at is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. This is how that starts. Command those who are rich in this present world, dot, dot, dot. Command those who are rich. Now, if you're like me, when I was reading through the book of 1 Timothy, I got to that point and I thought, Wow, there's a special, special section in the Bible just for rich people. I'm not one of them, so I'm just gonna glance right over it, right? Like, you're like, this does not apply to me. Like, I didn't even know there was a section in the Bible just for rich people. Well, it turns out <clears throat> money has these undesirable side effects on us. And I'm gonna talk about these side effects. And one of them, side effect number one, okay? One of them is this, that rich people are unconvinced or really, really admit that they are actually rich. Okay, there was a Gallup poll that was taken. This is old one, it's by like 10 years old. They asked a group of people who just got out of high school, what do you consider to be rich? Because what they realized is rich is such a subjective like label, right? You could be rich today, but compared to somebody else, you might not be rich. So they decided to ask a group of people who just got out of high school, what do you consider to be rich? How much money and liquidity like you could just have in your pocket? How much money do you need to have to feel rich? And they said, about this, this is 10 years ago, they said $15,000. So I know you guys laugh, right? So the Gallup poll people, they went to people who had about $15,000 to spend and asked them, what do you consider to be rich? How much money do you need to have right now if you wanna feel rich? And they thought about it and they said $50,000. So they went to the group of people who made $50,000 in their pockets and they said, hey, what do you consider to be rich? And they said $100,000, right? Now, this is a really interesting thing because everybody has a different definition of rich. So Money Magazine, so this is not Gallup poll anymore, Money Magazine 
did a poll to see for their readers, what do you consider to be rich? And this study was done about right before the pandemic, okay? So he said, what do you consider to be rich? Their answer, $5 million. If you have $5 million that you could spend it, you know, in any way you want, then I would feel rich. So rich is an arbitrary label, right? And what they concluded was this, that nobody thinks they're rich, but everybody knows someone who is rich, right? You're like, I make this much amount of money, but I don't feel rich, but I know who's richer than me. That person I consider rich. But if you ask that person, they're gonna be like, well, I do have like this much money, but I don't feel rich, but I know somebody else who has more money than I do. That person is rich. And because of that, it's easy for us to skip over those verses that talk about the rich. And by the way, and this, this is kind of outdated information because this is from about the time that the Gallup poll was taken, so 10 years ago. If you make forty-four to $45,000, entire household, so if, whether if it's one person or two people or many people in your house that's making money, right? If your household makes forty-four to $45,000, you are in the top 1% of the world. 99% of the world will look at us and say that we are rich. And you know, this is really interesting. Like when we talk about rich people, we say like, yeah, you know, those rich people have yachts and they have, you know, they have private jets and we think that's crazy, right? If you talk to 99% of the world and talk about Americans, they think we're crazy. They'll say things like this. You know, these Americans, they all have cars. What? Yeah, every, yeah sometimes more than one car in the house. And you know what they do? They get in this car that's old, it still runs perfectly, they drive it into a dealership lot, they pay the dealer money, and they give up their car, and they go home with a car that works just as well as the last one, but it's just newer. They're like, no, get out. No, really they do that? It's like, yeah, I know, crazy, right? But no, they really do that. Like they, t- they share stories about, like another story that I was shocked to hear is did you know in that mystical land called America, you know what they do? They work five days a week, and they could feed themselves for seven days. Like, no, it's like, yeah. And not only that, in some households of like four or five people, only one of them has to work five days a week and feeds the whole family for seven days. Like, get out. I mean, we take things like this for granted. So when Timothy talks about, or by the way, the book of 1 Timothy was written from Paul to a guy, his protege named Timothy. It's called Timothy, but it's written by Paul. Gotta remember that. Okay, so let's look at this verse again. This is Paul telling Timothy, because Timothy is a pastor of a church. He says, Timothy, when you preach to your congregation, make sure you set some time aside to talk to the rich people. By his definition of rich, we all would fit into that category. So he said, command those who are rich in this present world, and this present world, this kind of catches you off guard. Uh, We're not gonna talk about that, but later on in his letter, he talks more about this present world to the world to come. We're not gonna talk about that, but just so you know, that's there if you wanna read it for yourself, right? He says, here's the advice, here's the command that I wanna tell the people, I want you to tell the people about being rich. He says, tell them not to be arrogant. What does he mean by that? Well, this is side effect number two. Side effect number two, rich people secretly think they are better than others. And you know what? I totally understand right? Because if you're rich, if you have a lot more money, then you probably have a better education. You could afford a better education. You have a tutor. You could probably wear better clothes. You could probably have a better life. You have more opportunities. You have more connections. You live in a safer safer neighborhood. Better, better, better. It's not that much more of a step beyond that to assume 
because everything is better than other people in the world, that you are a better person, that I'm a better human being. And it's, it's, it's something that we, 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 I don't know, like I think it's something that we kind of pick up along the way. If I speak my language more eloquently than you, if I have a higher education or better degree than you, if, I, you know, if I'm better, 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 then eventually you'll start believing that you're a better person. And so Paul is telling Timothy to tell his congregation, make sure you teach them not to be arrogant because every single human being has the image of God in them. And the image of God, it's not like person A has more of the image of God than person B. Like your money doesn't determine who has more of God. Everybody has equally the image of God. Everybody's the same. So stop thinking if you've been changed by your wealth somehow. If you have that little thought in your head, make sure you remember not to be arrogant. Then he continues. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Okay, there's so much packed here that's really important. This is side effect number three. When you are rich, you put, your hope begins to migrate towards the accumulation of wealth. This is what it means. You start to realize that all the problems you have in your life can be resolved with more money, right? Oh, there's, there's something that's, oh, okay, here, here's some money and then somebody takes care of it. Oh, my, my roof is leaking, money, problem solved, right? Oh, I need some help with this, money, problem solved. And you start to think that money is the answer to all your problems, right? I'm gonna share with you, by the way, this is still one verse, we're still in that first verse. I'm gonna share with you the second verse, this is Proverbs chapter 18. Uh, this is a really good verse, this is you know, written by Solomon, one of the wisest people ever in history. He said this, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. When you have a lot of money, you could build up walls around you to shut everybody else out, all the problems out, right? You could do that. They imagine it, so it's not real, a wall too high to scale. Over time, when you're solving all your problems with money, you start thinking that money is the answer to all your problems, right? You could, you could spend more and more to keep your problems at bay. And so you start thinking that money is the answer to all your problems. But this person, Solomon, says, no, no, that's just imagination. You're not really solving any problems. You're just paying other people to solve it for you. But as we say, more money, more problems, right? You spend more money and you solve that one issue, but a bigger problem arrives, right? So he says, this is all imaginary. So don't put your hope in money. But if you have a lot of money, you start to Fool yourself in thinking that all the problems in your life is solved with money. For example, relational issues. If you spend a lot of money, you think you can solve that? Death. You think if you spend more money, you could avoid death? Addiction. Do you think if you spend more money, you could... No, there's a lot of issues in this world. Actually, the real issues of this world like the division in this world. Do you think more money will solve that problem? War, more money is gonna solve this problem. Like the biggest issues in this world are not resolvable with money, but the people who are wealthy, they could build walls around them, pretend like that stuff doesn't exist. And so Solomon says, be careful because you're just building these imaginary walls around you with your wealth and you are now believing that it's actually a real fortified wall. Here's another one. This next verse I wanna share with you is actually a memory verse. If you can memorize verses, I highly recommend you do this or even pray this. This is a prayer that my wife and I, we pray. This is how it goes. 
Keep falsehoods and lies far from me. Well, what do you mean by the falsehoods? Next verse. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. There's a, there's a sweet middle ground. You could have too much money, you could have too less of money, but there's a sweet middle ground that this person is praying. He's like, I want that. I want to be right in the middle. Why? Well, what happens if I have too much? This is what he says. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? If you have too much, when you start believing that money could solve all your issues, you start thinking that money is the answer to your problems. I don't need to pray anymore because I have money, right? I have no need for God if I have enough. As a matter of fact, John Wesley, we'll talk a little bit about him later in this sermon. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, he said the number one reason he traveled around the world, he talked to a lot of churches, a lot of people, he said the number one reason for atheism in this world is having too much. Think about that, right? But what if, what if I don't fit into that category? What if I fit into the bottom category where I don't have enough? This is what he says about that. Or I may became, become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Like so, you don't wanna have too little because you need to still have your needs met, right? You don't wanna have too much because now you're putting your hope in money and not in God. <clears throat> so whether you like it or not, money, whether if you're too poor or too rich, has mastery over our lives. If you have too much, you're like, well, money has taken the place of God. I don't need God anymore. But remember, that's just an imagination, right? If you have too little, you are stealing things or you're begging things. You're, you're taking things from people that don't belong to you. And now you're defaming God, right? So either way, money has mastery over your life. So if this person is saying, I'm praying to God that he just gives me enough for my daily bread. Powerful prayer if you pray that, okay? Now, what I'm going to do in a second is, because I know what you guys are thinking, like, do I fit into one of these categories? Am I too rich? Am I too poor? You know, am I in the middle? Okay, um, if you're too poor, I think you know that it's you, right? Okay, if you're too rich, I think this is the category where we don't really know if we fit into that category or not. So let me, I'm gonna do a little quick quiz with you guys because this is a quiz that my professor in seminary did for me, okay? He said, if you wanna know if you put your hope in wealth or in God, he said, I'm gonna give you two statements Okay, and, if, and he said, and before I put it on the wall, he said, I want you to think about if either of these statements were true, which of these statements will cause greater anxiety in your life? I'm like, okay, let's see. Let's see which one it is, right? So he put this up. He said, first one is this. There is no God. So let that sit with you. How much anxiety does that create in your heart? And then he put up the second statement. You have no money. I know you're like, keep talking, Cots. This is getting uncomfortable. <laughs> Which one causes great anxiety in you? Which one have you put your hope in? You see, what Paul is telling Timothy, who's telling his church, is that he's not saying that money is bad. He's not saying that at all, okay? He's saying that when we put our hope in wealth, right? Well, okay, he's like, that's understandable, but why don't we put our hope in the one who gives us the wealth? So let's look at First Timothy chapter six again. Command those who are, who are rich this present world not to be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain because, right, it's imaginary in a lot of cases, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Put your hope in God 
who is the one that is giving you the opportunities to make the money in the first place. So if we could put it very bluntly, this is what Paul is saying. He's kind of shrugging his shoulders, asking this question. He's saying, why hope in riches when you can place your hope in the one who richly provides, right? It's okay that God is giving you this wealth. It's okay that you have a lot, right? But if you start putting your hope in that rather than the one who's giving you this, then he's like, that's a problem. So don't get arrogant. So here's a quick recap of the three issues that we're dealing with. A lot of people are unaware of their wealth status. A lot of people end up being arrogant without even knowing about it. And money becomes our hope instead of God. And all this points to the fact that money has mastery over our lives because all this stuff happened without you even knowing it. It's not like you woke up in the morning thinking like, today I'm just gonna work a little harder, I'm being arrogant, so I'm better than you, better than you, better than you, how much do you make? Okay, you're, you're better than me, you know, right? Like, you don't wake up doing that, right? It just naturally happens to you. This stuff is really subtle. So, the question, so we just define the problem, okay? And Paul's like, I'm gonna give you the problem first, I'm gonna give you the solution later, okay? So, the question we're supposed to be asking at this point in reading the scriptures is this. How do we regain mastery over our wealth? Are we serving money or is money serving us? Remember, we talked about how money is a tool that we could use to bring heaven on earth, right? We wanna have mastery over our stuff, not the stuff have mastery over us, right? So what do we do? Paul, please teach us. Teach us what are we supposed to do? Well, in the next verse, chapter six, verse 18, he tells us exactly what to do. So he says, Timothy, command them to do good. Notice it doesn't say be good because I think he already assumes that you are good people, right? He says, if you have a lot and you think you're turning into an arrogant person, if you think that you're better than other people, if you're starting to put your hope in money rather than in God, then here's the first thing you gotta do. Do good. Not just be good, do good. And in case you didn't hear me, in case you zoomed right past this first line, let me repeat myself. He says, to be rich in good deeds, like do good. If you wanna be rich, be rich, like if you're known for your wealth, be known for doing good deeds for people. Help other people who are in need. Listen to them, visit them if they're alone. If they need a hug, give them a hug, right? Enter into their world so that you can understand how they're feeling. Be good people, do good, do good deeds, be rich in good deeds. So he's like, here's the action part. Now, as for your wealth goes, this is what I want you to do. To be generous and willing to share. So top here, right here, do good works. Down here, be generous, give things away. This is how you're going to have mastery. So math problems, for those of you who like math problems, this is the equation. Doing good works plus giving your wealth away equals mastery over your money. Now notice, in case you're wondering if I have ulterior motives here, Paul is not talking about giving to the church here. He's just talking about giving things away because it could have a negative effect on you. For dramatic effect, yeah. <laughs> okay, can you guys hear me still? Yeah, okay. Outside, can you hear me? Okay, gotcha, okay. <laughs> okay, so. I know, like you guys are like, I don't like hearing about this, so I'm just gonna, uh. okay. So the assumption that Paul is making here is this, okay? That after your needs are met, so everybody needs money to take care of their needs, right? And your family, if you're taking care of your family, right? And after everything is met, 
like, you know, your retirement, everything, right? If you have excess over that, then you are considered to be rich. And if the assumption that Paul's making here is that everybody, he's assuming that everybody with the excess that you have, that what you're using that is that you're wasting it on yourself. Like you don't really need to use it, but you're like, you know, since I have extra, I'm just gonna do this little extra thing because I was, you know, just wanna try it, right? He's like, if you're gonna waste your money, you might as well use it for something good. Use it for people who need it, right? Use it for people who are in desperate, like, or, or just give it away to some kind of organization, meaning you need to prioritize people outside of yourself. So this, the quick summary of Paul's solution to this problem is this. The only way to reverse the migration of your heart is to be generous, the only way. But here's the problem, and there's like a little semantic thing happening here, okay? There's a difference between showing generosity and being generous. There's a big difference between the two. I'll give you an example. Showing generosity is basically when you're like watching TV and then, I don't know if you does this generation watch TV? Probably not but maybe like a commercial comes up while you're watching YouTube because there's so many ads in the middle of a five minute video, right? And you're watching and all of a sudden this, this old man with like a beard comes out and says, hey, you know, you could sponsor this child who hasn't eaten for five weeks, you know? And there's like flies flying around and there's like sad music and all of a sudden the picture turns black and white and you're like, oh man, I'm so moved. I'm gonna give, that's showing generosity, right? You're waiting to be moved before you give, right? Or maybe, Somebody makes you feel guilty. Like, what, like if what I'm doing right now is making you feel guilty, I know, feeling guilty at church, yeah, don't, okay. Okay, and you're like, oh, I need to reach in my pocket and give. No, that's called showing generosity, okay? Or you're just waiting for somebody to ask you, hey, uh, can you give me an extra, extra change today? That's showing generosity. Oh, you know, I have some leftovers, I'm just gonna give that away. Showing generosity. Being generous, okay, or being a generous person or generous people pre-decide to give. This is what that means. You have your entire budget. You look at it and say, this is how much I need to survive. So this allotment right here, I'm just gonna assume that this is for me to give away. So there's my food, my housing, right? My savings. And in your mind, you have to pre-decide how much you're gonna put into savings, right? You're, and like, um, I, I'm also going to decide this is for my retirement, right? Every, after all, oh, this is for enjoyment, this is for family vacation, everything after that's said and done, you're like, okay, this. So you pre-decide what you're gonna do with it. Not, well, there's extra right here, so I'm gonna use this, and if I tip into that, then the remainder of that, no, like, no, no, no. You have to prioritize giving. You have to pre-decide how much you're gonna give away and who you're gonna give it to. If you want to give it to some, you know, organization or some person or whatever, that's fine, okay? But just pre-decide because a generous person, it's already built into their assumption that every time they get their paycheck, they're just going to give it away, whatever that percentage is. And in many cases, it's their first fruits. They give it away right away. As a matter of fact, this is a quote from John Wesley. This is what he said. When I have money, I get rid of it quickly lest I find a way, it find its way into my heart. He knows the danger, the lure, the mastery of money. He knows that it works subtly. He knows that the longer I hold on to it, the more I start planning, like, well, now I could build a second house, <laughs> right? He says, no, it starts to work into my heart the longer I hold on to it. So what I'm gonna do is as soon as I get it, I already know this much I'm gonna give away right away. The money that you have, that God has given you, 
is not just for you. It's for you, but it's also for something else that God has planned. And you have to find out what that is. I can't tell you what it is. So here's a quick summary. Do not place your hope in riches, but in him who richly provides. Otherwise, money, your money, is gonna start having mastery over you in your life. And the only way to reverse that, the migration of, of your heart to money, is to be generous. You see, money could be an awesome tool to do amazing things for this world, for your neighbor, for God's kingdom. You could do amazing things with money. But money has also a way of changing you without you even knowing it. And the way that, it's gonna, that, that you're gonna prevent that from happening is to build into your, all your, your routine right now what you're gonna live off of, where you're gonna give away. And when you get that money, you give it away right away before it takes root in your heart. Now, I know that some of you are like, well, I don't know how much I spend because I don't budget anything. <laughs> like, I, I know I have a bank account and uh, I just spend it and five months later, I look at my bank account and say, hey, look, I have a deficit or hey, I am above, right? Okay, remember, the money that you have is not your money. If you call yourself a Christian, if you follow, your, if you follow Jesus, then everything that you are and everything you have belongs to God. You are a person who is managing the things that God has given you. If you wanna be a good steward, you have to know how much you're spending every month, right? You have people to look at God and say, God, this month, this much is going to this cause, or this month, I'm going to spend it this way. Because remember, we are, I said this in the very first sermon in this, on this topic, it's difficult to call yourself a disciple of Jesus and not be good with your money. Because one day God might say, hey, in the next season of your life, I'm gonna call you to go and take care of that person who is in need. And if for you to say, but God, I have no money, I can't help that person. I mean, we are missing out on opportunities of blessing the people around us, bringing heaven on earth, if we are not managing our money well. So, once again, do not place your hope in riches, but in him who richly provides, and the only way to reverse the migration of your heart to money is to be generous. Amen? All right, let's pray.